Hey, what's going on? Chad's Chad. How's it going? What's up, man? I didn't expect you to uh, be calling for a space today, but here we are. Well, we haven't done one in a few know. weeks, you know, holidays and all, and just kind of things. And I don't like to go like long periods of time without doing a space. Like I like to keep the a consistency about this stuff so we can keep the, keep an engagement with our own community and such. Yeah, for sure, man. I like to, I like to do them. I wasn't planning on doing anything, but then I'm like, man, like, I, I mean, I like doing them. So I definitely don't mind hopping on. Uh, yeah, there just wasn't, hasn't been much going on, but just enjoying, enjoying some time. Uh, I hope everyone's having a good good holiday season, hanging out and everything. And uh, yeah, cool people will just come on such a short notice. So thanks for for hopping on. What what you been up to, Chad? Anything interesting? No, not much interesting. Just kind of you know doing the holidays and such. I don't really have any plans for New Year's. Do you have any plans for New Year's? I got I got nothing going on myself. So I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll just sit in my ass and watch a movie, but or maybe I'll go out. Who knows? Yeah, New Year's is always crazy because, I mean, if you go out anywhere, there's just so many people. It's, it's a mob scene no matter where you go. Right, right. And like, it always just kind of ruins it in some ways. Just like when you have like just, just fighting large crowds all the time, just, it's never fun. Yeah, that, that's easily the worst part about like major holidays and stuff. Just, just yeah. crowds of people. <laughs> it's, it's so terrible. It doesn't really matter yeah. what you're doing either. It's a- anywhere that's a public space. Yeah, I remember like there was just, uh, people talking about um, Christmas in New York. Uh, that's where I live, as you know. And like people were like trying to share like Instagram videos of like you know, oh look, I'm at Rockefeller Center or whatever the hell it is. But they always just film the video in a way that doesn't show the massive fucking crowds that are just like look terrible and awful, and so they just kind of like crop all that shit out. <laughs> Oh, dude, anyone that goes to Times Square on New Year's, that's like, I don't know. You're just there to be an extra on TV, essentially. <laughs> like, it's kind of crazy. Like, I don't know who I mean, would willingly do that. It's, it's cold. I I, get, I feel like it's warmer out now than it ever used to be. But like, I remember it used to be freezing on, on New Year's. You're out there all day. You can't even, you, you can't do anything. And then the ball drops. And you're just like, all right, well, just time to go home. If you if you want to watch the ball drop in New York, like you, you don't just show up to the ball like you know ten minutes before it drops or whatever. You you have to like get a seat and you have to like sit there for like nine hours or something fucking wacky just, I, just to watch that ball drop. Yeah, I didn't think there was seats either. I think you just show up and you just stand there for, just, for nine you just hours. Stand there for for hours with you know silly glasses on. You know, oh, my, my number one pet peeve is those. You, you, those glasses past 2009 it doesn't work like all right the, the design made sense for 2000 to 2009 after that period you know maybe 2010 you could get away with it you know you put the one in between the two eyes but anyone that's rocking the the, the glasses uh it, it doesn't make sense anymore i i don't get it they, they just kept making them yeah. past 2009 well they make good money on them i guess everybody just buys them and talks oh, yeah. to them amazing marketing they probably, they, they probably cost about 12 cents to make and they, they sell them for like 30 bucks yeah it, and it, it works every single time but yeah. the audacity to keep producing them past past 09 they, they, they couldn't come up with a better design they just they now they just put eye holes in around the numbers which was yeah. the opposite of the purpose of the of the glasses right right 
So what's going on with Thorchain Land, my friend? Dude, just a lot of volume. I, I haven't been like seeing too much. Um, like I haven't been like on the dashboards every day like I like I normally am just checking out everything. But um I mean last thing that happened, I put out the uh twenty twenty three report. I don't know if you yeah. if you went through that up on up on the Twitter yeah. here. It's the pin post. Yeah. If you haven't checked it out. And uh just running through the the year at large and obviously like big, big year and just wanted to like highlight some of the the biggest things that have uh, been going on this year and just point out some of the, some of the trends in a, in a nice clean report that people could distribute and share with their friends and things. Yeah, absolutely. No, that was a good report. Like well, well put together. Well, well done. Yeah. So like, if you guys haven't checked that out, I'm, I'm sure if you're in here, you probably, you probably saw it at least scrolled past it or something, but um, you can always share it, share it with people. Like it's in PDF form. If uh, you know, if you want the PDF, I'll send it to you. And you can distribute it to to your friends and people who are you know kind of on the outside and want to see what's going on at Thorchain Land, which is basically just volume, users, and integrations, like the three main things. So, yep. It's funny. I've been I've been kind of giggling a little bit at the Thorchain Twitter account lately because people making some posts around like a USDC ETH trade <laughs> and getting like. You know, like a four bips trade execution, which is even better than you can get on, you know, Uniswap or, or, or one inch. Yeah, I saw that too. That that was a, I mean, there's some slick swaps that go through. I, was that a, a Thor swap swap? So that's after affiliate fees, even. Uh, I would I would yeah. think, unless it. Although I have seen uh, some swaps in the monitors on uh, Shapeshift. They've been doing a lot of yeah. a lot of volume with uh, low to no affiliate fee with their with their new. Uh, model right right it is kind of funny like it's kind of crazy to think that a dex that is that is global versus a dex that is local like like uniswap's like, you know, like a local dex it's still outperforming a local dex even though it's a global dex it's, it's kind of the, 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 that kind of breaks my brain a little bit it's kind of crazy to think yeah, I mean, they just they can't they can't stream it. Like <laughs> that, that's the option. That, that's the only. Uh, like they don't have the like you know we can exist intra block, so like we can we can stream right. it on our on our own time. And you know, there's lots of things that we can do that they can't. Yeah, and, and we're, the, structurally, there's a lot of things we can do that they can't. And and it's funny because like they they are adding the idea of a streaming swap. They call it something different, but it's conceptually very similar um, to Uniswap v four. That's like coming out you know, next year or this year, I should say, I guess. Um, but the difference is because they don't have their own environment, they have to run on the EVM and then there's, and there's lots of limitations that come with that. And so they have these kind of methodologies of kind of get around the limitations of Ethereum and around solidity in order to, to accomplish a similar goal. And the way they do that is not really that great because, um, for us as a protocol, because we own the layer one, we can execute logic, you know, and execute a business code like whenever the hell we want uh, and not to worry about gas and other things in the same sense that you do it on Ethereum. So whenever you do a streaming swap on Uniswap, how that actually works is the first trade of a block will, tr will look for things that it can stream, like the next sub trade of a, of a swap, right? Mm. And it will charge the gas to do the sub trade on the first, the first uh, swap of that block, right? 
And the first swap of that block will typically almost always be an arbitrage bot due, due to MEM and all this kind of stuff. And so arbitrage bots are the ones that are paying for the gas for a streaming swap to, to be able to execute. And if arbitrage swaps are actually paying for the gas and not the swapper, well, then now you have something that's, you know, you're having the wrong person pay for the one who's benefiting from it because the, the arb bot's not benefiting from the streaming swap. It's the, it's the use swapper. It's, a, it's the user, right? But now they have to pay a bunch of extra gas, which Ethereum can be quite expensive, as you can probably guess. And so you're going to get the situation where arbitrage will actually have to um, perform worse because they have to pay for the gas of other people's transactions. And so they're not going to be able to actually have the, the pool price match the market price because they have all these additional costs that are being thrown on top of their actual like arbitrage stuff they're trying to do. So you're going to naturally get, you know, a worse price uh, in, in terms of like uh, what that stream swap can actually execute on just because the arbs boss are going to, are going to be paying for the gas for other users to do a streaming swap. So we'll see how it actually, like how much that affects it, how, how, how large or how little, but it'll be, it'll definitely be interesting to see it. But, but structurally the way we've designed streaming swaps is so much better much more efficient than what yeah you just thought before will do yeah it's kind of interesting i yeah and i i feel like it, you know you would have to wait and see and when it comes out like is there um have they said anything about when they're pushing all this stuff like i i, I haven't i don't think they really announced like hey uh this is when v4 is coming out i think they just kind of gave a preview and then it's some indefinite time in the future but i, I feel like it'd be tough to you know it, it, like the best thing we can do is just like see what happens when whenever it uh finally right. comes out and but it'll probably be a net win for the swappers though uh, just in in general maybe it's not as like clean of an execution or maybe it disincentivizes arbs a little bit but it it might make for a better swap experience on uniswap so as, as a trader it probably right? will. so yeah you know it, pro it probably will make a, a better a better experience or at least a, a more price efficient um experience which is good because that just means that uniswap and thorchain and other ones as well are, are just going to become more competitive with central exchanges and and not not its, it's primary offer to not be just decentralization and and, K, and ky lack of kyc and that kind of stuff but but also offering a better ex price execution and, and to be honest price execution is probably the most the biggest thing that people are actually sensitive to like people really don't care about privacy all that much in the end what they really care about the most is price execution right that, that's the whole reason why L2s exist it's just be cheaper right price, better price execution through less paying less in gas yep. and that kind of stuff so so I think the natural thing to happen is, is that DEXs are going to become much more competitive with sexes which is obviously a really good thing and DEXs will just naturally grow their 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 um, the pie that they are relative to sexes in terms of like spot trading and such yeah well, I think that's definitely going to happen naturally, just just because of th there not being any kind of overhead that comes with running, uh, you know, a decentralized exchange. Because uh, obviously, like you know, Coinbase, whoever you're talking about, they all have these fixed costs that are in involved with running an exchange, you know, employees and healthcare and and things like that. Like you run a Dex, is just it just operates right, and anyone can anyone yeah. can use it. So. I, I think it's, it's like it's, no matter what, we're kind of competitive and just gaining in that environment. Right. You're absolutely right. So sexes are for-profit businesses and DEXs are public goods. 
right? They, they exist in, in a very different landscape, right? Than, than a sex. And so, and it's kind of crazy to think about this thing, the idea that like uh, Thorchain as a project, you know, has very little um, resources allocated to it, right? Like in terms of, we've always had a very small amount of devs, a small, very small team. We're talking about under a dozen people in total at any given time in Thorchain's history, which is very tiny. When you compare it to like a Binance, which has got thousands of employees, like at least 500 employees, maybe a thousand or two. Maybe they've got some, like maybe they've laid off of some people in the bear market and such, but like you're talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And this thing is offering, doing the same thing, right? Offering the same service and doing it just as well, if not better, is pretty nutty to think about. I mean, just think about how efficient that is. It's just, it's incredibly good for, for the market economy. Yeah, for sure. So uh, anything in particular that uh, you've been thinking about as a recent? Yes, we haven't talked in a, in a while. So what's uh, what's on your mind? Yeah, um, I guess the thing that I've been thinking about most lately is like we just finished Q4, obviously. And the focus of Q4 was, um, was, was stabilization and, and kind of like tech debt and, you know, efficiency gains and this kind of stuff. And there's and in in Q one we'll, we'll have more efficiency gains, right? They're like we're not just done with that stuff, obviously. So it's a ongoing task. And so uh, for Q one, I'm really mostly thinking about um, one thing that I'm thinking about is what's called trade accounts. We we were talking about uh, you know last year, the end of last year. Uh, and another thing I'm thinking about is just improving the efficiency of the chain itself. And we got a bunch of those things landing in the near future around like. Swapper Cloud, and uh, we already landed, I think, the improvements to the uh, cough counting. Uh, that's already been, I think I landed in 125, I think. Um, and in 125, there's also Swapper Cloud. It hasn't been enabled yet by the, by the nodes quite yet, but that'll probably happen in the next couple of weeks um, to improve the efficiency of the network. And then trade accounts is about, to, to me, it's about uh, you know doubling the capital efficiency of the arbitrage bots so that with half the amount of capital, you can be just as efficient as you know keeping keeping the pool price to, to match the market price and the more the, the more capital efficient and more the more qu better quality our bots that we can have in this network the better price execution will have just naturally like well whenever you see a, a streaming swap not execute at five basis points or something larger than five basis points that is almost always is due to inefficiency of arbs right arbs just not either not being able to keep up or not having enough capital on hand or like, you know, whatever it might be. And so anything we can do to, to improve the capital efficiency of ours will just naturally create a much more capital efficient, uh, a better price execution on, on Thorchain itself. Yeah, I don't think we ever talked about trade accounts on here because I think that you kind of introduced that a little bit after we, we did our last right. race. So like, yeah, I, I think we should definitely talk about trade accounts a little bit. And oh yeah, at first I think, that there's still, still some stability stuff that needs to be fixed around the AVAX and, and things that are going to have to be, uh, you know, fixed in the, yep. in the first like week or two of the new year once the, yep. once everyone gets back to it and, uh, you know, notes yeah, start updating. Inscriptions and, yep. were, inscriptions were just like, you know, such a pain in the ass over the last <laughs> month or so. It's just it's wreaking havoc on, on various EVM chains in, in a sense. Yeah. So, what's the fix there? Is it just improving the the method at which 
ThorChain uses to scan the, the chain and to see what's happening on it so it doesn't lag as much? Like, I'm not exactly sure what, yeah. the, what the fix is. But that, that's more or less basically it. Like, these inscriptions ca cause um, mostly AVAX, a little bit of BSC, you know, maybe a couple more, but like, it caused instability on those chains, right? It, it's utilizing the chains in a way that they're not really designed to be used. And in, in doing so, you're kind of harming the mempool and you're causing a huge amount of, of, of transactions with little gas fees paid, which kind of creates like an instability in those chains in the sense that like when you want to broadcast a transaction, you doesn't really get on chain as quickly as it normally does in normal, normal circumstances, right? And so it creates this kind of, this instability or this this kind of unreliability on, on those chains and that unreliability kind of like causes problems for us in a sense and so a lot of the changes we've been making around this has, has been you know change, like small changes to bifrost to to be less sensitive towards a chain in itself an external chain like avax you know um to not cause problems for us when it's being unhealthy when it is not operating in a smooth and and you know, in the way that it's supposed to be operated, right? And so it's just making kind of like pushing our code to such an edge where the external chain is not like doing its job in a sense, and us, you know, finding the cracks in our code where where we can make some improvements to be to be more defensive in those scenarios. Cool. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's mostly the mempool then, actually. Like, there's so many unconfirmed transactions in the mempool that it's just. Like the the nodes are just lagging, trying to get through all of those transactions, and because yeah, there's I just so many. Yeah, I mean, that, that, at a high level, that's kind of what it is. It's, yeah, it's a bit more complex than that, but but that's generally the thing. And so we we would broadcast a transaction, you know, on AVAX, and it would, wouldn't get on chain for hours and hours and hours, and even days in some cases, right? And that just creates, um, you know, bad UX. From our side, right? We want people to do swap from Bitcoin to AVAX. We want them to that swap to be executed in a reasonable amount of time, not like four days. Like that's not that's obviously not good, right? So making some changes to to, to be better about this stuff and, and you know handle it when it does take days for a transaction to get on chain. Cool, cool. So yeah, you want to talk about trade accounts a little bit? Because yeah, this is something that was introduced pretty recently. And yeah, I don't fully have my head around it yet. So do you want to explain kind of, you know, what the new framework is around trade accounts and kind of like why moving past synths to this trade accounts idea? Yeah. Well, so since a little like primer first, so people know the context, since itself has two roles, primarily two roles in the protocol. The first role that a sensor used as an arbitrage tool so that ARBs can ARB the, the, the pools without going through layer one transactions. Because if you have to like, if you want to balance the Bitcoin pool and you have, to, you have to send some, you know, layer one Bitcoin to the network and you have to wait 10 minutes for that Bitcoin to be, you know, um, you know, on, put into a block or whatever, and then observe and all these things, like it just, it just, it's very slow, right? The, because it's a layer one transaction. And it's much more efficient if you can just do it on ThorChain's, within ThorChain's own system, like internally within the ThorChain network and just arbitrage that way because blocks are fast, you know, they're five seconds and not 10 minutes and, and that kind of thing. And so you can, you can ARB things much more efficiently, right, using synthetics. Um, you can always, you know, you can still ARB a layer ones if you really want to, of course, but since it's much more efficient and that's how we generally see ARBs today, will ARB things and, and ARBs play 
an even more important role in the protocol today than they've ever have because it's the ARBs who make the, the capital efficiency of streaming swaps, you know, a thing is, is ARBs are there to ARB in, intra-swap uh, to, to give them that really great price execution of, of users and swappers on the network. So we want them to be around and we want them to be, you know, really efficient. We want them to do their jobs. And um, the problem with using synths for arbitrage is that they're, that they're not the most capital efficient way of doing so because um, when somebody trades, um, let's say a thousand dollars worth of rune into Bitcoin, right? And so they've added a thousand dollars of rune and they've taken out a thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin minus fees, of course. Um, it takes two thousand dollars worth of synthetic Bitcoin to, to, to correct the price. Uh, and there's a reason for that. And I probably shouldn't get into the details of it because it's just it's, it's a little bit complicated to explain just by an audio mechanism. I would, I would need like a whiteboard to kind of really kind of help people to understand why that is. So just for the time being, just kind of take that as, as truth. And, and that, that the synth, that a synth holder, you need, you need $2,000 worth of capital to, to already $1,000 trade. And that's the kind of the, the inefficiency of using synths for ours for that purpose. And so a trade account and the way that works is different, right? A synth is, is a cap is an asset that is backed by the liquidity of the, of the pool. A trade account is an asset that is, that is, um, that you can acquire one of those things by inputting, you know, a layer one asset or swapping to it. Doesn't really matter which per se. And then that is not even technically an asset. It's not even actually a coin. Even. It's not even actually a token. It's not even, you don't even, you don't even hold a trade, you know, um, asset in your wallet. It's actually held in a module instead for, for security purposes. But you can trade instead of going, instead of liquidating a synthetic and then removing a rune from one side of the aisle, you can actually add Bitcoin to the Bitcoin side and take out rune on the other side. And because you can do it, you're changing both sides. You're changing both sides of the pool. You're adding to the Bitcoin and taking out the rune. You are much more capital efficient, whereas a synthetic will just remove rune from the pool and not and not add or remove from the from the Bitcoin side of the pool. It just it just kind of removes from the the rune side of the pool when you when you liquidate a synthetic. So <clears throat> by using trade accounts, it allows ARBs to to be able to have use less capital to make to to correct. The price uh, use half the amount of capital to correct the price the same amount as it would yesterday with using the synthetics. So I'm excited just to to kind of move away from synthetics as an arbitrage pool uh, arbitrage tool, and use and move towards trade accounts because it's much more capital efficient. And then synthetics is purely just used um, for um, for savers, right, for, for the earned product of the network, which means there's just more space in savers for savers, right? There's more, uh, uh, you know, we don't need to, need to have savers and ARBs kind of competing with each other of the same kind of like liquidity that they're trying to, to utilize to, to accomplish whatever goal they're trying to accomplish. They're now separate assets and they have separate mechanisms of, of, of capping the amount of liquidity that, that is allowed. And so you have just less competition for, for earners and the, which means that more earners can participate in the network which is, you know, generally a good thing, right? And ARBs are now just using these trade accounts, theoretically, and they're still doing what they're doing, they're still making a bunch of money, and they're, and they're just much more capital efficient about it. Does that make sense?
Yes, I mean, so, so some of the basic stuff there is like number one that it's not they're not actually coins that you hold in your own wallet. They're coins that are held by a module. So your your, your address essentially is. I, I wonder, like, what's the actual difference? What's the mechanical difference between having, you know, owning the coin? Say that all the synths were just in a module and you just had that was your balance of those synths, but they're in the module rather than your wallet. Is there an actual, like, difference that th- there's there's some kind of something different materially about yeah. that? Or is it just, okay. Yeah, what is it? Right. So here's the material difference. So, like, if ThorChain was to do a wrapped asset, like a wrapped Bitcoin on ThorChain, right? What that would look like is you would deposit Bitcoin, we would mint, uh, you know, a wrapped Bitcoin on ThorChain, and we would put it in your in your wallet, right? Whatever wallet, your ThorChain wallet, and you're you know just holding it or trading with it or whatever the hell you want to do with it, right? And then that would be that's what a wrapped asset would look like, right? This is conceptually very similar, but there's a strong difference, and the strong difference is that by by putting in Bitcoin, minting this asset, and putting it into a module rather than your wallet. The network has the ability, the ease of, 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 of an ability to be able to, to, to burn or liquidate that asset when it needs to, right? So in a wrap scenario, if Rune's price were to dive, the wrap asset would, would stay untouched, right? It, would, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be touched. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be liquidated. It would just stay there forever. And, that, and then you create economic insecurity, blah, 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 and a whole series of problems that I would like to personally avoid. But in a situation like this one, all the all the all the kind of asset that's held in a module, all you're not actually owning any of the assets in that module. It's more of like you have uh, it's a pool of those assets and you have a percentage of those assets. So in the event that Rune's price dives drastically and we're bumping up against economic security and, and the value of the assets we're securing is now you know exceeding the value of the bond. We have, can liquidate the Bitcoin in that module into Rune and give it to the bond guys to reduce the, the, the liability and increase the security, right? And that's, that's, the, that's the big difference. That's why you will need to do it in a module so you can easily liquidate that capital when you need to, to ensure that you maintain economic security. In reality, though, that would probably never really happen because... You know, our bots are, are, are bots. They're online all the time. They're running infrastructure all the time. They're always looking at the price of Rune, always looking at the price of Bitcoin. That's literally what an our bot does. And so in the event that Rune's price is diving and we're getting kind of that point where we would start to liquidate Bitcoin, an our bot wouldn't just let their Bitcoin get liquidated because that would just be, you know, losing money for, for no reason, right? And so what they would do is they would just, they would just, liquidate it themselves at, at a one-to-one value rather, rather than liquidated at a one-to-zero point nine value. And so before we, the network would even liquidate any of that, that, that Bitcoin and then that trade asset, Bitcoin, that trade Bitcoin asset, the arbitrage bot would just like exit, right? And so that you, you would never actually, you rarely even ever get to that place because our bots would just protect themselves before you even got to that line, right? But a, a you know, a user who's a, um, uh, a saver who's not paying attention, they're not running infrastructure, they don't have a bot that's you know maintaining the or looking, looking at the Bitcoin price or the room price all the time. They may not be you know keeping their eye on things. They could get to a point where things can get liquidated or whatever. And, and other hypothetical, but in this case, that would never get liquidation. Would never probably never actually really occur because they would just exit before it even got to the line. Interesting. Yeah. So a couple of questions just to you know get a better picture in my head. 
so when you go and deposit Bitcoin into a trade asset, like what happens to that Bitcoin? It's not in the pools, right? It's in a, like, where does the, where does the Bitcoin actually go when you deposit it? Like, where's the accounting kind of come from there? Yeah. So the network has actually has like two different things that attracts the Bitcoin in the network, right? One is the pool, which is how much Bitcoin is in the pool. And two is the vault, like how much Bitcoin is in an Asgard vault. And there's at a given time, there's five or six of those. And then, and generally speaking, if everything is like optimal, everything's like tip top, then all the Bitcoin in the vaults is equal to all the Bitcoin that's in that's being tracked in the pool, right? So when you deposit a you know a, a layer one BDC, you're you're putting you're increasing the number of Bitcoin in the vault, and then you are um, you know creating a, a Bitcoin asset in the in the trade module, and then you are being allocated units like kind of like lp units similar to an lp unit but instead of being an lp you are you're a trade you have a trade unit right a trade thing right that you are owning a percentage of that of that module at that, at that particular moment um so the bitcoin is is held outside of the pool and and outside of that that trading system right of the pool itself it's held in the network outside of that system and then it liquidates to, in order to ensure uh, economic security. You never get into a bad place. It has that liquidation methodology that it will liquidate some amount of that Bitcoin. You know, and basically what, the, and the, what that liquidation really means is just moving it. It's just an accounting change. You're moving it from the module and you're putting it into the pool and you're getting out rune and you're depositing that rune into the bond module. Got it. Yeah, I think that, I think that makes a lot of sense. So yeah, the, all of the addresses that ThorChain controls—that is just that's all the Bitcoin that the, that the network has. Uh, and Correct. then a subset of that is the amount that's in the pools. So that's paired with paired with Rune. So Bitcoin and Rune is you know maybe eighty percent of that entire balance, and the rest of that is allocated towards the trade assets. And yeah. they have an they have an IOU asset for what's outside of the pools but if it gets to an unsafe scenario then those then that, that bitcoin can go to the to the pool if necessary right and by putting it in the pool now there's an arbitrage opportunity to correct the pool price which means that bitcoin will basically exit the system meaning that you also reduce the liability reduce the the, the ex, ex, exonerous apple assets in the network and in, and the security is more or less the same from a second ago and so you're making things more secure by doing so Got it. So that would still count against the incentive pendulum. There's just more assets that it's securing, but with the same amount of rune that is yeah. with, with less rune than it would be paired paired with it before. Right. The pendulum would be the pendulum today is is, is based upon the amount of rune in the pool versus the amount of rune in the uh, bond module. <clears throat> but there this would trigger a change. It would be Instead of the amount of assets in the pool, it would be the amount of assets in the vaults. And right now, the number of assets in the vaults, the number of assets in the pool are more or less the same. Uh, they're not technically like down to the Satoshi the same because there's, there's like moving assets and trades and swaps that are kind of like, you know, it's in flight. They're constantly adjusting number. But like they're generally about the same, about the same amount in both. So it's, they are more or less the same. But because you're now having a methodology to deposit Bitcoin to the network that's not also being deposited into the pool, you need to change the pendulum to be, to, 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 to swing based upon the, the exonerous assets, the value of the exonerous assets versus the value of the, the pool, the, the bond itself.
Got it. Yeah, it's an interesting shift. So, and do you think that um, so the ARBs would most likely shift to this because it's twice as capital efficient, meaning they would have to spend uh, they they'd have to put half as much into one tr- into a trade and get the same amount of uh, of value essentially. Yeah, I'm, to be honest, I'm not even quite sure like how it affects the ARB income, whether it makes it less or more. Uh, I have to think more about it. My initial thinking is that it actually will, will be um, be less money. Like ARBs will probably lose money in this context, which means that the LPs and the savers retain more in the pool. Um, but in the end, their their job is to is is, is you know, primarily is to, is to, is to arm the pools. So if we can, if we can kind of um, get them to, to do that as efficiently as possible, that's obviously the best interest of protocol. Yeah. Well, if it's not more profitable, then how would you get them to switch off of using synthetics today? Oh, well, that way we would just turn off synthetics, right? Like, in, in, in like turn off trading synthetics, right? Yeah. You, you basically would, unless you're, unless you're um, depositing or withdrawing into savers, it would just, you you could, you could, burn a synthetic but you wouldn't be able to mint a synthetic right and so we would, we would just force it to be honest with you oh yeah i guess that, yeah that would that would make sense do you, do you think that trade assets would make sense from the perspective uh okay so look at from the lens of like uh like a pro trader type uh tra- type person that, that wants to make you know trades on chain maybe someone that's using like perp dexes today do you think trade assets kind of also work for that type of uh, of user like it is it also better to, to actually make swaps and things with trade assets and is it something like an advanced user could do or is it something that you would think only yeah. be like a very sophisticated arm bot i i think it, in, initially it's it's targeted for our bots yes but um you know if we decided to go down the um uh the order book road right or the limit order uh road um this would probably be the asset that they would use so they would deposit layer one Bitcoin into the network, they would get this kind of like trade asset, which is basically kind of like an ILU. And then you would, you know, trade back and forth. And when you're ever you're ready, you can liquidate your, your, you know, trade asset, your ILU back into layer one Bitcoin. And if that sounds very similar to what you do on, you know, Binance or, or Coinbase, yeah, it's basically conceptually the same thing, right? You, you know, Binance or Coinbase, you deposit some, some token, right? And you increases your accounting, on their system, now you got like one one Bitcoin of an IOU on, on, on Coinbase or whatever. And then you trade back and forth, you know, one direction, the other direction, you set up limit orders or you do, you know, mar- margin accounting, margin accounts or whatever the fuck it is you want to do with it. And then you, whenever you're ready to exit, you just, you know, do a withdrawal and you, and you burn the IOU and you, and then you get the layer one Bitcoin back in your, you know, your PC1 address, um, you know whenever that happens right so it's conceptually like is recreating that same experience that you have on on binance or coinbase it's very you know familiar for people <clears throat> and so when you get to the place where you do have professional trading tools on fortune like limit orders like perpetuals like margin accounts potentially like whatever that might be all the the pro tools that you know traders use in, in crypto today and you recreate those same things on thorchain now you have like almost complete parity in some sense to what a Coinbase or, or a Binance is, is, is capable of doing. And you can do that in a completely decentralized and much more efficient and cheaper way of doing it than what they can possibly offer you. Yeah. I mean, that's one of those killer use cases that I always think of as it's something that I, I wish 
um, there was some interface that was doing this. I, I guess it's tough because we don't really only have like spot exposure. And I guess a lot of those types of people, you know, they like to do leverage and, and things like that, right. and, you know, just more, more coins and, and things. Um, but like just having interfaces take advantage of synthetics and do like, you know, this pro trader type interface where you can just, yeah. you just, you know, make, make your swaps out. That's something I'm looking forward to, um, you know, eventually when, when someone actually picks that up and makes something that's like a really competitive product there. So, I mean, as long as trade accounts work with something like that, then it sounds like a good move. Yeah, that's that's like I don't think people realize that like most of the volume in crypto is not in swaps. Like, and, like it's not. It's mostly like it's it's the whales that really push you know the volume. And whales aren't aren't doing little little swap interfaces. You know, on Coinbase Basic UI, they're going to Coinbase Pro or Binance Pro, right? And using professional tools because they are high net worth individuals with you know complex trading strategies and whatnot. And so. I would love to see Thorchain move, uh, not move away from, but just kind of it, it include a larger, you know, market of the type of person that would use Thorchain. It, it's great to be used for people who just want to trade Bitcoin and ETH for a little simple trade one time, blah, 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 whatever, uh, and get a decent decent price execution. That's great. But a lot of the capital is really in, in like those pro tiers and those pro interfaces. And we just don't have the tools for those people today. We just, like, as you said, like, Streaming swaps is not really, I mean, it's great, but it's not the, it's not a pro tool in the, in the traditional sense of how people think about these things. What we need is limit orders, what we need is perpetuals, what we need is leverage, all those things. You, you support those things on layer one assets like Bitcoin and whatnot. Like now you're really fucking talking. You'd like, that's where the majority of the, of the volume being traded through Coinbase and Binance is coming through that shit. It's not the, it's not the simpleton UI. It's, it's the pro interface, the pro tools that people are really using. So I would love to see us expand, you know, our user base away from not just the swappers to traders. From there, I think we'll just get a lot more volume in, in the network. Yeah, I mean, not to, uh, you know, stray off of that, but you mentioned uh, margin, which is something I kind of thought of. Uh, I was just thinking about like, man, like you, you could kind of do something with margin on ThorChain just because like you could essentially make trades against like an LP or something as your margin or as your savers account, as your margin. Mm -hmm. Is that kind of what you're... Uh, what you're thinking of because i was like man that's such a, a cool idea because you know who wouldn't want exposure to something like that like you know having you know your regular savers position but then it's like oh yeah well you can if you want you can you know make some trades using that as as margin if uh if you want without having to withdraw it or you know right. mess with it yeah I mean, to be honest i haven't really thought deeply about margins um i know it's something we could do in theory if it's something that we were interested in as a community and in, in, in going that, in that route or direction there's been more real there's been more time and focus on perpetuals and how that would be designed and implemented than there has been on 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 margins but in general like if you just think about all the major tools all the major you know financial instruments that uh, a major sex like Binance or coinbase offers like we can theoretically just do we can do all of that shit you know if we really wanted to I don't think it's much we couldn't do, to be honest. Um, the one thing we probably couldn't do very well is like asset management, which is probably a, mega, a big component of Coinbase business and Binance business is, is, is around asset management. But we, that's one thing we probably couldn't do very well. But everything else, probably could do just as good, if not better. Yeah, definitely interesting problem. Yeah, asset yeah. management. I, I've kind of like 
I feel like there's something interesting there, but I'm not really sure what it is. Have you, like, this is kind of a crazy, <laughs> this is kind of crazy, but um, have you ever thought about kind of TSS key share in, inception where you, you mm-hmm. have uh, a, a TSS, so you have ThorChain do like a key sign and then that, what they, what they're signing is a TSS share for another, uh, for another vault essentially, where it could be like a one of, a one of three signer or something like that. In order to do asset management? Yeah, so something like asset management. Yeah. Um, I don't know how to do that with and, and maintain economic security. I think that's whenever I think about asset management. Well, maybe the one way we could do it is actually through we talked about this a long time ago and it's been kind of put on the on the on you know in cold storage, but uh, we talked about cold vaults and cold vaults might be oh, a, yeah. a methodology, but that doesn't but to be honest, that doesn't scale particularly well. Like in asset management, it's going to be a mega huge business in the coming like couple of years. Like almost all of these spot ETFs that we're talking, you know, be hearing about from Ark Investments and you know a Genesis and whatever else. But like uh, Gemini, rather, um, almost all of them, a lot of them are are going to be using Coinbase as their um, as yep. their asset management thing. That's going to be storing all that because you know Charles Schwab is not going to be storing Bitcoin and. Same thing with Fidelity and the rest of these guys. They don't want to take on that risk, right? And, and Coinbase is really has a long history. They've got, you know, they do a good job. They're, they're, it's a really well-run exchange in, in the U.S. And so asset management is probably going to become their business, their biggest, biggest business because they're going to be losing the spot war over the next few years. Like they're going to get their asses handed to them through, like ThorChain is going to destroy Coinbase in terms of their spot trading, you know, into the future and, and maybe even some of a lot of the professional tools potentially, uh, maybe not in the, in the uh, institution side of things, because they have to like operate differently through regulations and blah, blah, blah. So they, they have to avoid things like 14 in that particular case. But like a lot of the volume that they're going to, they're going to lose a lot of it to, to, to DEXs like Thorchain and other ones and chain flip and whatnot. But one thing that we can't compete very well on is asset management. And a lot of the spot ETF stuff that that we're that we're seeing in the Bitcoin world, like they're never going to use a decentralized system to 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 do the um, to do the asset management of those of that Bitcoin. Like that would be ridiculous yeah. in their case because they're already they're already obviously already centralized. They need they need liability. They need somebody to call and talk to. They need assurance assurances. Blah, blah, yeah, they blah, need a contract that says if you lose our Bitcoin, like right. <laughs> you, need- you need to get it back. Right. So we're, we're, yeah. it's not something that I'm interested in, in competing with them on that regard on Coinbase. I just don't think we can, can be competitive, to be honest with you. And that's OK. We don't need to own the world. We can just own, you know, own crypto in general. I, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be I'll be fine with just the crypto part of it. If they want to just like, you know, offer services to, to centralized entities like Charles Schwab and whatnot, then, you know, have at it. That, that's your world. Dealing with centralized entities and, and KYC and. All right, yeah, have fun. You got it. <laughs> but when it comes to actual like trading and like everything else, like, you know, I, I'd like to see us fucking kick everybody else's ass in that in that regard. Yeah, for sure, man. If people want to come up, by the way, uh, anyone can request to come up if uh, if you want to, you know, wish us happy new year or just you know come say something. It's uh, open for people to come up. I'll, I'll I'll let you up. But um, yep. yeah, the other the other thing that I was kind of thinking of and and seeing a uh, a good bit about. Is just Chainflip's launch, which is going on. Uh, yeah, man. Yeah, they're they're, they're coming off the gate, um, and it looks like they're they kind of have like a swap beta that's up, 
and yep. they're going to have their mainnet, I guess, fully functional sometime this month, hopefully, as in like January, yep. probably. Yep. Probably. Yeah, it's looking good. Like, I, I'm, I'm excited to see it, um, you know, to see it kind of like I finally roll. Like, I mean, you can trade right now, but it's like, I think it's like a maximum of $1,000. Like, they have, a, they have a cap on it just to, for, I guess, for security purposes or whatever, while they're kind of like verifying that everything kind of moves in the right direction. But yeah, probably within the course of the next month, they'll, they'll be like fully live. And I'm really curious to see how the do like a comparative trades, right? Of various sizes, like Bitcoin to ETH on Thorchain versus chain flipping to see what the actual, like, what is the time execution, right? And what is the price execution and like all that kind of stuff. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm quite confident we can, we can beat them, you know, hands down almost every trade. Yeah. Cause it seems like most of what they're, saying in their you know kind of marketing speak is like hey we're, we're you know we have the best product out there so it's like i mean it's, it'll time will tell what you know what what's going to happen and it, you know what kind of security choices they make around like uh things like confirmation counting uh which i think they probably i i, th I believe they do less of but i'm not particularly sure i've, I've seen them make like some, some statements which i don't think are 100 percent true so like you know obviously i would take anything with a grain of salt and do your own testing and stuff too when when it's actually uh out yeah even well, things like gas I, estimation that that's one thing that i i saw because um you know we, we have seen that a lot in the past couple of weeks where people would be like the gas is like crazy expensive but thornode gives like a uh, pretty very conservative gas estimate and then it refunds the rest to the user so it, it shows a bad uh, sometimes a bad quote where it's like oh you're going to be paying this much in fees and that's like the worst case estimate and yep. anything else gets refunded it could possibly be that amount but more than likely like you're paying probably uh a third of that yep. right so uh it, yeah so it's just like things around like just just small ux things like quoting and uh oh yeah how they're going to roll out memo lists um it's yep. going to be uh, that that would be good because I, I i really like to see that get pushed off the ground here um for thorchain because i think it's one that'll be one of the most powerful tools to actually get the product to uh like outside of just the core interfaces and kind of like spread uh spread swaps to more yep. wallets and um i mean i think it'll improve the ux in every single dimension so like them having a product out probably before thorchain does um you know i think that'll be good to get us off the ground in that respect and just make the ux better yeah well once we actually once they fully fully launch and they're fully operational we can kind of check out their volumes and and we, we can, they can be like a kind of a groundhog in some sense of, of telling us, you know, how, um, how useful, how valuable is the idea of a memoist transaction? Because they support that off the bat and we, we don't today, but we, we have the code done. We could, you could add it fairly quickly, but, um, you know, if we did add it, like how much would that really affect our volume? Would it be, you know, a small percentage or would it be a huge percentage? Like, you know, it's hard to know, but what they will probably validate that market to tell us, you know, how valuable is a memoirs transaction really, you know, and, and we can kind of use them as, as guinea pigs in a matter of speaking to help us in, make, make informed choices. Yeah. Uh, my own, my own thought real quick before I let everyone else that I let up speak um is that i like i don't really think it's going to have a crazy effect on volumes where it's like oh 95 percent of our volume is all of a sudden memoless it just opens it up to more and more users who may or may not be doing large amounts of volume but it just makes it so like uh so for for example like a single chain wallet let's, let's say like a dogecoin 
wallet that only does Doge, right? They want to onboard people from other ecosystems. Like they want to grow their own user base. But the only way they could do that is with some kind of swap service that, you know, does from one chain to the other. And that's like the native crypto native onboarding. But they're never going to mm-hmm. go through something and do like a wallet connect. Uh, like essentially what, what I'm trying to say right. is that this thing enables us to do like single chain integrations much more easily easily and just have more and more users using it whether that translates to you know volume per day i really doubt a lot of the a lot of services do like you know more than 10 million in volume in a, in a day just just based on like how big these services actually are and and you know how many users they service some some do like big wallets obviously like they do crazy amounts of volume but then you look at the average service and they probably don't do as much like they, you know they, they probably do somewhere in that range of volume like maybe like 10 million at, at the most right which is yeah. not even that much compared to what thorchain does today but well, I, uh, I, I would yeah. argue that the reason why the, the bullish case for minimalist transactions in my mind is that um you and, and you're and you're well aware of this because you've been you've been like you know feet on the ground this thing but like whenever we want to integrate a wallet right or convince you know some wallet like exodus for example and we have to spend so much time trying to sell them and trying to, you know, convince them why, you know, a Bitcoin ETH trading pair on, on Exodus is, is good. And then they have to go through the process of evaluating the technology of it and how much integration is going to require, how much, t- you know, testing, how much development, blah, 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 and like all these things. And that just is a very long process. But if you make it so that you can integrate, a, a wallet can integrate with ThorChain without doing like a lot of dev work, you know, because minimalist transactions would allow that to happen very, very quickly and very easily. It's a very much lighter lift for the devs of any particular wallet to integrate with Thorchain at that point, because you're reducing the the, the resistance or the friction to, to like supporting Thorchain. The number of wallets that support Thorchain do trades should naturally increase. You know, relative to the amount of fr- friction that you're that you're reducing, right? And so my my thought is that once we have minimalist transactions, we're going to have specific UIs for that purpose that, you know, like Thorchain Bull has been talking about doing that for a while. But I also think that we're going to have a low hanging fruit, easy methodology for, you know, various wallets and UIs to integrate with Thorchain without really like building off return support and blah, 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 and all this kind of complex shit. And they can just like hit an API point and then broadcast a transaction. And that's literally all there is to it. And I think that'll just naturally cause more UXs, more UIs to, to interface just because it's so cheap and easy. You could do it overnight, you know, if you wanted to. Yep. Uh, Crypto Italia, what's up? Uh, yeah, hi, hello, uh, everybody. Thank you for bringing me up. Um, and uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, I will just tell me about the, what Chad was saying about uh, arbitraging both. Um, I think since uh, streaming swaps, uh, arbitraging bots has become uh, even more an integrating part of uh, the protocol and very important uh, uh, things on the Torchain ecosystems. So I would like to renew a point that I make like maybe two years ago, uh, or one or maybe two, I can remember, um, during the beer market anyway uh that was that i think the core team should code uh, and uh, socialize uh arbitrage bots uh, because are so important as uh, you keep stressing 
even you avoid uh, always my request because I thought even before streaming swap that it was important that um, it's not just uh, a thing that uh, we leave uh, to people outside to do it. And uh, so there are speculation, but I want to keep it out. Yeah, I think your your comment, if I understood you correctly, was that you think that the devs of Thorchain should work on you know building our bots and arbing the, the network itself, rather than relying on just you know third party uh, individuals. It's, it's a bit more, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but it's a bit more a bit, bit more complex. Uh, I mean, I mean a bit, a bit different. Uh, uh, I, I, I think that the protocol itself should code arbitraging both and then open it to the community in the way like if you want to put room or USD. I, 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 I didn't go really into the working arbitrage both, but I think you need to put co- some capital in. So I think Rune or and uh, even uh, any other coin. Uh, in both sides or any pool, um, and then let it work uh, um, in the way uh, people from the community can can provide uh, liquidity to the boat itself and then get the gain. And also have uh, that important instrument, like you always uh, try to stress lately, um, to be socialized. So uh, in the way, like uh, we can optimize uh, streaming swap and also the community can be part of uh, an important uh, um, part of the protocol, an essential, essential part of the protocol and essential to streaming swap to work, plus having a return that is socialized. I mean, it's go back to the community. And it's not to go to some random people or shady figure. Yeah, so the, there are some complexities around this. Um, for example, um, if you are if you are arbing the pools, technically you are, you are making um, um, taxable events whenever you arb the pool. So the question then becomes: Well, then who is actually arbing the pool and who's paying the taxes? To do so. So, if it was me personally, for example, if I built an Arbot and I, you know, made it so that anybody could deposit their Bitcoin or their assets into my Arbot and, you know, share the share the revenue that's that, that's produced, uh, that creates a lot of like, you know, tax complexity for me as an individual. Uh, and and for that reason, I think it's probably best that we that we don't um, we don't have devs, you know, engage in that kind of thing. In general, I I, I don't want the core protocol to be engaged in as or being as engaged into as little things as possible. And we just allow the market and the community to build UIs, our bots, um, you know, even like LP universities is a really good example. Um, you know, any of these things and just keep our hands as clean as possible and just let the market uh, satisfy the needs of the industry. Now, if you want to build your own our bot, and you want to make it open so people can deposit into your Arbot to help fund it, um, you know, you can do that, right, as an individual, right? And then people will have to trust you because they're giving you their Bitcoin and 
you need to worry about the taxation, you know, concerns around this, blah, 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 have, you know, all that stuff. But I don't think it's really appropriate you know, for, well, it's for not me gonna, to do it. You know, well, uh, it's not going to happen. So there is trust on the core team, but there are no trust, obviously, on me. And plus there are... Uh, Arbit, uh, jurisdiction, 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 arbitrage, you can leverage. And plus, I was also suggesting beside and even before the DAO, the, the arbitrage, the socialized arbitrage board to build a DAO, which uh, uh, is out of USA jurisdiction, which is actually the only one which is making problem uh, along with it, uh, eventually in Switzerland. Uh, which is quite natural and well known uh, for no making problems uh, and uh, also uh, offering uh, uh, the 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 rune uh, um, um, torchain community nodes. So you can build a DAO, for example, the dev team. I know it's based in the US and it's very risky for you, I think. So you're very brave, guys. But uh, I think building a DAO with a legal uh, uh, as a legal entity on uh, on Switzerland or or the Bahamas, uh, something like that, uh, which run a community node where everybody can deposit his room uh, in a, a community run node. I know there is a technical problem and blah blah blah. We discuss about it, but I think is. Easily um, to be overcome uh, with uh, some code, and then beside run also um, arbitraging bot. Yeah, I mean, I'm, for me, I'm just not interested in building an arbitrage bot personally. I think it's, um, I'm more focused on you know trade accounts and and in efficiency of the protocol and order books and just making sure the protocol itself is operating and not collapsing to zero. <laughs> That's kind of where, where my time and focus is. And, and a lot of our, we don't, we're not a big dev team. We don't, like I said before, we're, we're very small relative to the rest of the industry. We don't have a lot of resources and to spin up resources to build something that the community is already capable of doing themselves. It's just not a good allocation of, of resources in my opinion. And to be honest, if I was going to build an art bot, I wouldn't do it as a ThorChain dev. I would just do it independently. I would just write the code. I'd probably open source it just to, you know, you know so everybody wants to use it, I can. And I'd fund it I myself. I think the best way, Chad, will be to open a DAO, to build a DAO uh, for ThorChain. So also you will lift uh, uh, security and um, uh, direct uh, issue with the law in the U.S. That's my suggestion. Yeah, but you can't that's do this. That's all. It's not practical to do this via a DAO, to be honest with you, because in the end, in order to, to our ThorChain, you need to have a, an account on some centralized exchange, like a Binance, yeah, that's for example. True. Yeah, but you somebody can open, has to you be can open, has to... You can open an entity in the Bahamas or in Switzerland, uh, and also you're taking all the risk uh, le legally, especially you, uh, that uh, you are the one uh, exposed, uh, exposed, because uh, you put the face and the name and the surname. Um, yeah. I, I think versus you, but uh, I feel you in a very weak position, and I think my suggestion eventually help you to get out of trouble before trouble come. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if if in the end somebody needs to be a, a KYC entity, 
in, in this case it would be me, I guess, hypothetically, then there's no real reason for a DAO. Like a DAO would just be pointless. It would just be a way to, for, for people to to vote and ex- kind of voice their perspectives on what you know, unless you create they- a trust a trust or uh, so, uh, an economic entity like a company in some country where, where which no pro- prosecute but then but then it's still the company that really owns everything and operates everything so the, the DAO has no power can be a trust a trust. Trust but still, and th- but then th- that trust is the thing that has the power, not the DAO. The DAO, the DAO can only just voice what they like. I want to see this. I want. I'm, I'm, I'm voting yes. DAO got voting a voting no. voting system. So the DAO, I mean, is this? But the voting the, system the, has uh, no uh, trust. Got a, a trustee commit. So you are not alone, but there are like a few people, at least uh, five or ten in the trustee, and and right, and, but, and then. So whatever the whatever the DAO votes has no teeth, right? Because the DAO could vote yes on something, and then me say, you know what, I don't like it, and I'm just not going to do it, right? Like I have the in the end, I I'm really choosing what happens, and I can choose to follow the DAO or not. Can be the entity can be um, a trust, and the DAO can be decentralized, so the vote count. I mean, I'm voting. My point is the points points would not count. Votes would mean be being a hundred percent meaningless because it has no insurances that no matter how things are voted legally and legally with but who who's with the code with the code you can uh, everybody the code that I down. the code that I run and I operate I can change that code arbitrarily in this case I'm running the Arbot it's my code I so Ave uh, Ave can change is a DAO and can change the code arbitrarily or or Cosmos. Can I don't think so. I mean, but that's vote, that's different the, though. You're talking about a smart contract, and the smart contract is actually operating the, the thing itself, yeah, that's, right? That's, that's a talk, different system. That's what I'm talking about. But then, in this case, there is no there is no smart contract that actually owns or, or, or runs anything. It's me as an individual running it, and I have the ability to do whatever the fuck I want. It doesn't matter how the DAO is voting in any particular direction. I can just fucking do it the hell I want, including not give you back your Bitcoin if you ask for it back, right? So the DAO is just, it's just, it's just, it's like a, just going to be a, a for show way for people to explain, to, to kind of voice what they like to see happen. But in the end, it's my fucking choice. I'm owning this thing. I own the code. I own the servers. I own all these things. And there's no legal, legal thing that you can do as a DAO because a DAO does not have like legal rights in this context to be able to sue me for any kind of activity that I do because you opted to, into the system and it's operating the way I told you it was going to operate, which means I get to do the fuck I want. But the trustee can uh, usually got like five, ten, or, or even more people into into the trustee, so it's more difficult to cheat. It's like the node. Well, you, you even are if there's, you even if there's trustees, I'm still nodes. the one running the infrastructure. I'm the one that's running the server that runs all these, you know, that has the private keys that's doing all this trading to do the ARBs. Trustees are just sitting on a fucking you know couch somewhere in a, in a boardroom and just kind of like talking to each other. In the end, I'm the one that actually runs everything. I'm the end, I'm the one that actually owns everything. I'm the one that operates everything. And trustees have no fucking power for me either, right? Like, they, can, they can't do anything about they, it. They can they say, they hey, own, Chad. They own the, the exchange account. Uh, so where are uh, the one you're using, like Binance or whatever else you're using, they own it, the trustee. So they are responsible for it. I mean, it's not black and white. I mean, probably I'm wrong in... Uh, in a certain uh, at a certain point, but I don't think it's like you are saying, one hundred percent. 
I'm, so I'm just saying that, that if you way, either have there like is a some way on system. the middle, but you don't want to come in my way. Uh, and uh, so I'm not coming in your because I don't think it's fully like uh, you are uh, telling. Sorry well, about I'm, my... I, I'm, I'm just generally saying that either a system is decentralized or it's not. It's either centralized or decentralized. I mean, it's, and there are gradients between those two things for sure. But if you're going to run something, well, right, even it is Ethereum, only as decentralized Ethereum, as Ethereum is, is beyond uh, trusty uh, in the end because the uh, uh, Ethereum Foundation is a trust. So the same, if they collude and they want to sell all the... Can we give the opportunity to somebody else, please? Yeah, sure, sure. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, go for it, Knight. Sorry, I love the Italians, but my God, you know, you take a lot of time to make a point. Thank you, though. Um, Anyway, I'll make mine very quick. Question one is... Why isn't Matic um, as a native integrated? I tried today to move a, um, a wrapped chain link from Matic into Rune, and I had to go through a third party, and this is using Trust Wallet. So you can't go directly from Polygon into Thorchain when I think it kind of is it's the base of Ethereum, so it should be as quick as integrating that. And the second one is... Um, we need to find a solution to using Rune on its own. So not everybody wants to put in an LP. If anybody put in an LP when Rune was at 75 cent, they would have definitely lost money versus hodling because no matter what uh, token you put it against in an LP, Rune went up way higher than any other token unless you were lucky enough to put it against potentially AVAX. Uh, but any other token, BTC, Ethereum, you had way more multiplier of Rune on its own by hodling than having it in an LP. And therefore, that going back to this module of community nodes where, you know, if I go into a Kepler wallet right now, I can choose which validator to add my token in and be part of that security and earn a bit of percentage of what they're earning. But that doesn't seem to exist for just holding Rune on its own? That's my question. Thank you very much. Uh, first one question was about Matic. And so in general, adding new chains in, in over the last year or so has not really been viable just because um, you only have so much security. And for a long time, when the market was you know much more bare than it is now, we had no space and insecurity. So adding new chains was you know a little bit pointless in some sense because we didn't have the space for it. Today we have the space for it and we can add new chains. Um, I think maybe Kyle actually knows more about this. We've had conversations with Matic in the past and there's been some bullishness on their side to getting Matic added. But adding new chains itself is not, you know, something that's easy to do, even when even when it's a fork of, you know, Ethereum or whatever. Uh, there's still complexities, there's still risks, there's still maintenance costs, there's still operational costs that we, you know, devs have to do. And, and you know, AVAX is kind of a recent example of like, a very costly chain because we have to constantly deal with this fucking horseshit that we've been seeing the last few weeks uh, from AVAX. And that's just been very draining of our resources, draining of our time. And we can't focus on other things. So I'm, I'm for adding Matic personally, adding Polygon personally. I think it's a good, good, good addition to be made in, in general, but it's just, it's, up, it's really just up to the devs and what they have time and resources to do and what the community wants to see, to see added. Your second question around um, uh, having an, uh, another option for, for rune holders to, to earn a yield. Uh, we don't do the whole fucking just uh, throwing rune into a validator and staking it and making money, blah, blah, blah. And, I, and we don't uh, do that for, for a good reason. And that is because that whole idea, while it's common in the, in the cosmos world, 
is complete and utter horseshit. <clears throat> it makes no fucking sense. You are not providing a value to anybody else in the world. Nobody's willing to pay you or pay fees to you for, for you know, staking your tokens onto a network like that. It is completely moronic that this industry believes that I can just stake tokens and just earn money. And that stake tokens is not actually used for anything valuable. You're not participating in, in, in you know, committing blocks to the chain. You're not running infrastructure. You're not providing liquidity for swaps or something like this. It's completely stupid. And we, everybody just wants, you know, free money. And in the end, it's not actually free money because where that money comes from, because nobody's willing to pay you for it. No, but there's no external capital coming into your protocol to pay people for do this. That's not how it works at all. How does it work? You'll just mint to an oblivion the, the token, and which basically means they're, they're reallocating value. They're taking it away through an invisible tax to people that don't have that stake in the system, to people who do have a stake in the system. And most of the time, because it's a free and you know easy thing to do and it's almost basically almost near zero risk to it, Everybody fucking does it. And now you have a chain where like 90% of the, of the you know, atom tokens or whatever are staked, which means that nobody's making any money at all because there's only 10% of the capital that you can reallocate into that 90%, which means nobody's making money. Everybody thinks they're making money because they don't understand how, you know, math works. But in reality, you know, they think they're getting an 8% return or a 9% return. In reality, it's closer to one and a half or 2% because they're, you know, inflating the coin to fucking death. So... That is not going to work for this protocol in general. I've always been staunchly against it for many reasons. Uh, if you're looking for a rune-only way of earning, there is bond providing, right? In which case you're providing a security in that methodology. That's always an option. But I don't know what else it would be, right? And people have been talking about providing rune into the POL as a methodology doing that. People have been talking about uh, earlier... Um, Crypto Italian was talking about providing room to some arbitrage individual, maybe something like that. But to be honest, like um, that's not necessarily the like the role of Rune is to is to is to give you as many yield opportunities as possible. It's trying to provide services for the industry, right? That Rune is a token that's there to allow us to be able to provide services in the public good for the industry, not just to be like you know infinite source of yield and whatnot. That's just that's just that's just that's just like the crypto industry trying to get rich by doing nothing, right? Like that, that's kind of a pet peeve I have in the industry in general is everybody's here to make money and become millionaires without doing a, without lifting a fucking finger and being just lazy fucks and just wanting to just like ride something to the moon and becoming a millionaire without actually doing anything of value. And that's just kind of like how this industry works in the current moment, which is just rather frustrating for people who actually are here for to like build and here to provide value, here to you know, change the world in one form or another. You know what I mean? But Chad, like, the, the, I, I can understand how you're, you're, in terms of the inflation by adding more tokens and you're inflating the the, the token number um, and that's how people are making money. But if you even look at Bitcoin, until the last block, it is inflationary, no matter what people are trying to pretend it's not. Oh, no, it's only 21 million. Yes, but those 21 millions haven't been minted. So next year's supply, there's much more tokens in the supply. In, in, right, in the, but in that's the, not the same thing. That's not no, no, the same thing at yeah, all. But, 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 but the, you know, the US dollar was built on an inflation. And that's why, they, oh, we want it only 2%. We don't want it 4%. It's been inflated over the past 100 years so that your $1 that was 100 years ago is now worth one cent. So, you know, that, that is a monetary system that has worked until now. 
because they've inflated right. and they've reached but, that one. But so, the difference the difference is that in Bitcoin it's inflating, but and it's giving money to people who are providing value. And people in this case are mining. They're increasing the security of the network by increasing the hash rate of the network and they're getting paid for their troubles. They're spending capital. They are burning electricity. They're buying electricity and burning it to an oblivion. They're buying infrastructure and they're doing that. Now the inflation within within Bitcoin is there to kickstart it, to bootstrap it, right? Because if you didn't do inflation in Bitcoin, Bitcoin wouldn't exist, right? Nobody would mine it because you get like 10 cents every every 10 minutes and nobody would fucking mine it and it would, wouldn't be able to do transactions and nobody would buy it, nobody would entertain it, nobody would engage with it. And eventually one day there will be no more inflation, you know, in Bitcoin in like 150 years or how the number is. And and that's that's okay in that sense because it's using inflation to kickstart the network and get it bootstrapped, you know, in one form or another. And it's identically the same in Thorchain's case. We have inflation in the in the form of block rewards to bootstrap the network to ensure that LPs make some fucking reasonable money in the early days, and they're not just like making twelve cents every fucking twelve days, and so that nobody would be an LP, and, and the whole thing just kind of doesn't work. And you, you have a little bit of a chicken and the egg sort uh, situation. And you use inflation to get out of the chicken and the egg, right? You're using inflation at a particular time. But like we don't do inflation forever, right? Our inflation is decreasing with every single block, right? That's how it should be. You know? The long-term goal is that the inflation will go to, you know, down to near zero and the, the, the network would, would propagate purely upon providing a value for the world, which is trading Bitcoin to Ethereum, for example, or, or loans or, or, you know, whatever other services we're going to be, you know, offering in the next, you know, 10 years or whatever the hell it is. But to do a thing where you say as a protocol, we are going to have a protocol like Adam, like right? I'll, I'll, I'll pick on Gaia. We're going to have a protocol like Gaia. It doesn't actually fucking do anything. It provides no value and no service for anybody in this fucking planet. It's just a test chain in a matter of speaking, where people can vote on things that don't actually matter, like whether or not the inflation is, you know, 5% a year, 2.5% a year, or the hell that fucking 843 was recently. The chain does absolutely fucking nothing. It provides no value and it has no income, right? It has no, doesn't, nobody's paying money into that system other than to, you know, speculate on Adam and hopefully get some airdrops of some new shit token that's being launched next week, right? Like, that's, that's, it doesn't make any sense to say that you, you are buying an asset that has no value accrual and no demand for it whatsoever, really. No reasonable demand center for it. You're going to stake it onto a system that doesn't produce any that, that revenue or value. And then you're going to continue to make money on top of that, just birthing money from fucking thin air. That's not how it works. You cannot, you cannot birth or value in any, anywhere, ever. Bitcoin doesn't do it. Thorchain doesn't do it. The U.S. government doesn't do it. Whenever you are minting new tokens, you are not minting value. You're just diluting something. The market cap of the dollar or Bitcoin or Rune is the same before mint and as it is an after mint. They're just deflating the value of each individual like token or coin or dollar in this case. It's completely nonsensical. And if you're arguing that we should do something like that that doesn't actually make any economic sense and doesn't provide an actual value for anybody, I'm just not going to get on. I'm just not on board with that. Right. No, no, Everything... the, oppo the opposite. I'm, oh, I'm against dilution completely, but I would like to be kind of part of a node. But where am I going to go get five million? Because I, from what I understand, the node needs at least a million runes. And if somebody right. cannot afford so to be right now, a node... we have, that's all we have bond providing. So you can, you know, you can provide with like, you know, Thorchain Bull is a 
is a kind of an example of somebody who runs notes for others. As long as you have enough rune in your pocket, you can't do it if you've got 10 rune, just not enough, you know, skin the game. I think the minimum that he does is like 50,000 rune or whatever. But like, there is no obligation here to provide you a rune on rune yield just because you like it, just because you want to, the false impression of making an, an income that you're not actually fucking making like you are in the Adam case. You're not making an income. That money's coming from nowhere. Nobody's paying money to just to pay you jack shit. And we're not, and I don't want to do the same thing. I'm just providing a false yield and tell people, oh, hey, we get this yield, you get 10% per year, blah, 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 whatever the hell it is. In reality, it's actually like 0 0.9 because the money's coming from absolutely like, you know, being minted from oblivion. Like it doesn't make any sense. If you want to provide rune for a bond provider and provide security in that sense, all right, talk to the Torchy involved. Right. Or talk to a bunch of get some friends together, get enough room together collectively that you can give enough room, you know, to run a node or, or give enough to Thorchamble. But it, in order for us to offer a rune on rune yield, it, the, the yield has to come from somewhere. It cannot be minted. It just can't be just like a pure mint scenario. That just doesn't make any sense at all. It has no value to the protocol, no value to the users of the ecosystem, and it provides no value for anybody at all. So if you want to do that, great. Propose an idea. Right, but it's not going to be just staking on some node and not actually contribute to security. That's just like a non-starter for me. I got one one point around I this, which I was been thinking of recently uh, with Chainflip and like their design. Right, so they so this is sort of baked into the protocol itself, and then there's a you know a company that that does essentially wrapped flip wrapped staked flip right where you provide their nodes they give you a yield bearing token and you get some of the rewards but inherently what that does is it pushes the network to be run more and more by that one operator who runs all of those nodes like they they own all the hardware they run whatever code they want to run like you provide them your capital but in the end of the day, it's kind of what chad was saying earlier about just you're you're the one that's in control like you, you run that box like you know no matter like if you delegate to one of those things there's nothing you could do that could stop that person if they wanted to from doing whatever they want with their node and your your stake that's with it and inherently it just makes the network more centralized by pushing people to towards the provider who uh can just take up the most the most share of the network and it, it's going to be the same like you, you don't want the network to become just you know you know, three guys in a multi-sig. That's essentially what it becomes if there's like, you know, one or two ways to provide bond really easily. That one provider is just going to become, that they're going to become the network. They're going to run the whole thing. And then it's not actually a decentralized system at all. Exactly correct, right? He's right. So uh, to use an analogy, if you go to a football game, right? Or if you, uh, you're, you're um, Scottish, I think, so maybe soccer, you're European football. If you go to a game, if if you just if you go on the field, you are participating in the game, right? And you are affecting the, the result, right? You're you're on the pitch. You are affecting the the game in one form or another. And you are the more people on the field, the more decentralized the game is in a matter of like kind of you know saying. But if you're not on the game, you're just in the stands. You paid money to buy a ticket, and you're sitting in the stands, and you're rooting for the whatever your guy is on the field, number seventeen. You love them. You think number seventeen is great on the field. You are not participating in the game. You're just, you're just cheering from the sidelines. You're not you're not increasing the quality of the game. You're not increasing the centralization of the game. You're not making more goals. You're just on the fucking sidelines. That's what staking is. 
in that context of like delegated staking. You're just sitting on the sidelines and you, but you're not, you know, no one's going to pay you to sit in the sidelines of a football game or a soccer game. Like no one's going to do that. It's because who the fuck would want to pay you to sit there and watch a, a football game? Like it isn't, you're not providing anything of value for anybody else in the world. So the whole idea is just so fucking stupid, but the industry is kind of like just excited about it because they don't understand that, that you just can't mint money from nowhere and make a bunch of money. I don't know. It's, it should be a fairly obvious concept, but people do all the time. People do the same thing with like uh, when Sushi Swap came out and they started to like just mint a fucking sushi token. So you got extra yield from a sushi token. That doesn't actually fucking work, right? It doesn't work. You just can't just mint a token to oblivion and have no demand center to give it actual real value and just start printing it to fucking ever. Like it, people got so excited about it. It was the, it was the next biggest thing in fucking AMM, just liquidity mining. And everybody fucking did it. Sushi started it, and then Uni copied them, and then everybody else had some fucking moronic governance token that did absolutely nothing. It got people got for free and just dumped it in the market. It's one of the worst tokens in the industry. It just you you have to if you want to have an asset that's actually valuable, you can't do it through just nonsensical economics that just gets people excited to just get free money that they're not actually getting that free money in the end. It's just like we need to get away from moronic economics where just people just get think they're getting free money for nothing and then, you know, invest into to an asset like you know, fucking Adam or whatnot. It just like, it just annoys the hell out of me that people are still talking about nonsensical systems that don't actually provide value for anybody in the world and thinking they're going to become a millionaire because of it. You don't, you, you get, the amount of money that you earn in your life is relative to the, the size of the problem that you're solving. If you want to flip burgers for your life, then you will not make a lot of money because the size of the problem that you're solving of flipping burgers is rather fucking small. And there's lots of the people in the world who can flip a burger. It's not fucking hard. But if you want to solve cancer, if you want to solve, you know, uh, reusable rockets like SpaceX, that's a massive fucking problem. And you'll become Elon Musk where you're worth, you know, fucking $100 billion or some ludicrous amount. And if you want to think that you're going to become a millionaire or wealthy because you're going to be buying some arbitrary token that has no value and has no economics whatsoever and then stake it to earn more of a pointless token, get the fuck out of here. The only way you're going to make money from the system is a bunch of rubes come into it and buy it with you, like a fucking Dogecoin or meme coin that like you're just gambling on pop culture at that point and you're not actually making an actual real investment. If you make money off of that, well, you know, more power to you. Congratulations. You got fucking lucky as shit. But if you actually want to solve a problem and invest into an asset that actually solves a problem that makes a lot of money because the problem that you're solving is massively large, like, for example, cross-chain swaps, like, example, lending, like, example, earning, and the things that we do as a protocol, then you will make some fucking good money because you're actually providing and solving a problem for the world. But if you're not going to solve a problem for the world, you probably won't make much money. And if you do, you're lucky as shit. Yo, Pluto. What's up, man? Welcome back. How's it going? Merry Christmas, guys. Merry Christmas, Chad. Merry Christmas, Cal. Merry Christmas, dude. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I'm just listening. This is good shit. Super bass, Chad. <laughs> Chad. Chad's like on one right now, and I don't. I don't even know what propelled him to like ramp it up to that level but <laughs> I, I gotta say i'm just enjoying I'm, I'm loving being here 
Yeah, a bit going off the rails here, but it's it's just like it's, it, just, <laughs> it just goes back to the annoyance that I have about the industry as a whole and how the dumb shit that we just throw money like massive amounts like into whether it's fucking ohm token or all this just nonsensical bullshit. That, uh, that doesn't do anything, that will never do anything, never intended to do anything. And people still think they're going to, you know, put take $1,000 and become a millionaire in six months to cover it. And if you are, then if it does happen, then you basically rugged everybody else. And congratulations, you just took money from a bunch of other rubes who thought they were going to make a lot of money and then end up losing it all. Like, it's, I, just, I just want to see this industry move beyond this horseshit and actually get to a place where it's like, well, how do we produce value? How do we just offer something that per, that people want to spend money to use, right? Whether that be swaps or loans or, you know, what have you. Like, to actually empower people's fucking lives and allow them to do things they can't do yesterday. Do that and you'll actually produce an asset that's a valuable. I don't care about the fucking rune on rune yield. Who gives a shit about that? I know people like it because they want to get rich. Or they think they want to get rich. But how about you just get rich just by making a good investment choice? Whatever happened to that? Here, here. Preach. I have a couple questions. Is that okay if I ask? Shoot. Hey, uh, Merry Christmas, guys. Happy New Year. I hope you guys are getting lots of rest. I know between Binance, Smart Chain, and AVAX, you guys are probably pulling your hair out. So kudos to you guys. Um, I have two questions that actually come from the community, just what I get a lot. Um, first question is, I know you guys have been dealing with the AVAX and the Binance Smart Chain stuff. Um, is there a time frame on the cloud, uh, cloud ranking system for arbitrage bots? And, uh, and I like Pluto being up here. If there's any updates on Solana, I get a lot of Solana questions. Thanks, guys. Yeah, we're going to try to get uh, Swapper Cloud out like right after we get um, the mainnet instability issues addressed, so specifically AVAX right now. Binance Smart Chain has been pretty stable since we rolled out some performance fix for it, but we're still having trouble with AVAX, like basically scheduling transactions and then them getting sent into the ether and ch either chilling in the mempool or not ever making it into like a validator mempool at all, um, which obviously causes problems for ThorChain if it can't you know, reliably broadcast out uh, transactions. So as soon as we get that addressed, um, we'll be able to unhalt AVAX and then unhalt the churn and then um, mainnet will be 100% op operational again and then we can resume the vote for, uh, for swap or clout. Um, I know Chad's uh, anxious to get that out and we've, we also had to, we also have to, I think in 126, um, we don't have to wait until, until that gets um, in to, to enable swap or clout, but um, I think we did have to wait for 126 to enable AVAX anyway, and in 126 we'll be able to um, finish the store migration that we started to apply the swap or clout values retroactively to, to all the traders that have traded. What was the what was the time frame on that in the last like year or two years? Uh, I think the time that we collected for the swap or clout initial values was two years, but I'm not. Uh, Orion would know better than I. Nice. So do you want to explain what that means, what that means for like, uh, you know, existing, existing swappers and their swapper clout? Yeah, it just means that we did an analysis of all how much rune each individual address has paid in fees over the last like couple of years. 
and that becomes your initial, whatever quantity in room that is, that becomes your initial value of your swapper clout number. And that's really important because if we started from zero, then it would take, you know, six months or a year before we actually saw some like, you know, the value of swapper clout actually manifest and actually provide, you know, faster um, trades and whatnot. So we, we had to do something similar to that just to, just to kind of kick the numbers off at a non-zero value so that it's actually doing something, you know, uh, providing providing a benefit for the protocol but that can be done enabled at any time like nodes could vote on that right now if they really wanted to um and you know enable it today it's it's a, we're just we're just not trying to like spread ourselves too thin by trying to like move too many pieces on the, on the chessboard at the same time i just want to make sure we get stability in the network before we start adding you know running new features that hypothetically could have some sort of bug or issue with them you know and then have another fire to deal with Exactly. Um, and then as for Solana, so here's the um, here's the latest on that. Basically, we have a independent, like a third party team that's doing um, the EDDSA fork of TSS for us. So they've agreed to, um, well, we basically contracted them to um, to complete the EDDSA implementation that's required to do signing for Solana chain. I think Cardano, a bunch of others use EDDSA. Um, so yeah, basically that needs to get done first. And then we have Kudelski who did our most recent ECDSA audit. Um, we have them lined up to start auditing that as soon as the, uh, the implementation has been accepted. Um, so we're parallel pathing that with a bunch of other work. Um, and then in terms of the Solana uh, nodes and how we'll like get node operators to run that, there's a there's a pretty deep, pretty um, like decently detailed thread on that in Discord ongoing right now. Um, but I think we'll wait to kind of like make any decisions about how that's going to work. Um, so debate is still ongoing about that. But other than that, it should be just a, a matter of like making some changes to Bifrost to support um vaults of multiple types so there's there's a bit of like groundwork on um on the actual thor chain side but other than that it's pretty much a you know evm fork with just some you know minor differences um so i think what the the the, the goal is is to get i'm thinking i i don't even need to wait until um the official like eddsa implementation that we'll use is done and audited because we can just use the Binance uh, Binance chains upstream EDDSA uh, lib in development. So basically, uh, this is getting pretty technical, but basically, like we're gonna try to get a a um, like uh, Solana vaults running on StageNet or like get a PR up for that as soon as possible, so we can just like get that built and running on StageNet, so we can start to. Um, see how, like, basically, like, put ourselves under the gun operationally so that we have to, like, we, we basically want to have to support Solana for a couple months before we, we, we think it would be, like, safe to add it to mainnet. So, like, by, by, by putting it on StageNet, um, it'll force us to, like, deal with the issues that would arise from, from like, a production instance of Solana running on, on ThorChain just because... It makes me super nervous. Like it's it's a massive chain. I think just operationally running it is going to be difficult for node operators. So I just want to get some experience internally running it on the stage net 
um, and see how like difficult it is before we we like provide any sort of like real time frame. But I think getting it um, running on on Thorchain StageNet um, within like the next couple months is is doable um, through a number of like you know I, we can basically like take shortcuts on certain things um, in, in the meantime just to get it like tested and and working, but. The path to mainnet, I think, has a lot more open discussion, and and you know, it'll need it'll need to be bacon stage net for at least I said three to five months. So I'm hoping like sometime in 2024 we get it in, but there's really no promises. I don't mean, I don't think it's an EVM fork, by the way. So I, I think it would be a completely um, new chain client that have to be written from scratch to support this you'd have to like do some yeah there's there's different like methods and the way that they interact with like the data structures is different but it is like eth client um compatible so all the libraries that you can use to like call the eth rpc are the same so it would probably not be like a full rewrite but yeah there's it's a it, it is fairly different in like how you like they don't have a concept of transaction receipts it's it kind of is all on the transaction but so that makes yeah. it easier and harder in some ways I mean, personally, I'm 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 quite nervous around Solana. Uh, not that I'm anti-Solana or anything like this, or, or trying to throw shade or anything, but um, it is it's it's well it's well known that Solana is a very operationally you know um, uh, operationally problematic, right? They've had a yeah. lot of stalls and issues, and when that happens, you know that's going to create issues for us, and specifically for like Pluto and. Ursa and other people and myself who are, you know, running this protocol and have to deal with all that downstream fucking disaster shit. And then we also have the problem of uh, running a Solana node is extremely fucking complex and extremely expensive. And we have to convince, you know, 105, you know, nodes more or less to, to run this infrastructure, which is going to be very expensive. And to be honest, I sincerely, sincerely doubt that Solana would come anywhere close to the amount of revenue they would have to generate in order to, to compensate the nodes for the amount of capital they're going to have to spend to do so. It's going to operate at a loss to vet to validators, to be honest with you. And that's obviously not a good idea. And we've already seen that be the case on Binance Smart Chain, right? And, and we don't really have a lot of volume passing through it. And it is a relatively expensive chain to operate. And I, I, I don't think it's actually generating enough revenue to support the validators and the cost they're doing. And then we're also seeing significant operational issues with Binance Smart Chain as, as Pluto can tell you more detail than I can about how much uh, how much that chain is just operated like a, with a, by a bunch of kids, you know, who don't know what the fuck they're doing. And and so like I think Solana is going to be so expensive to add both in support for EDDSA and running a new chain client and and then the running of it and all these things and the operational issues and, and just, just I just I'm quite nervous about adding it. I'm not against it or anything like that. I'm just saying that, like, it just looks like it's going to be kind of a disaster to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm more. I'm in the same boat. I. I think it's gonna. That's why I kind of want to like put ourselves under the gun by doing it on StageNet because that will surface, you know, just how just how difficult it will be to keep it running. Like, if we can't if we can't even keep it running in StageNet, there's no point in even trying to get it in mainnet. And so I'll I'll have like a better sort of summary yeah. of like what the what the pains are when when we've had some time to like run it in the test environment for a bit but yeah i share all of the same you know concerns as you and it does suck that like today in order to churn 
all chains have to be, you know, 100% operational. And that's caused issues for our node operators already. And so I'm going to tell them like, hey, when you vote for like Solana, you're basically voting to have more incidents like what's happening with AVAX right now, where we can't churn the chain because AVAX is halted because of, you know, fucking inscriptions on AVAX. Like it's just causing, you know, record transactions through their C chain. Like you have to just take into account that any, you know, Thor, Thor chain is basically at the mercy of the stability or like, yeah, the stability and performance of any of its downstream chains. And so, yeah, for the same reason, Solana makes me really nervous. I think if there's if there would be one saving grace, is we could do like a, a routerless um, implementation where it only checks uh, like L1 transactions to the uh, Asgard vaults on Thorchain and not deal with any of like the smart contract calls or interactions, and that would you know potentially make it more performant. But like I have to mess around with the implementation more before I can uh, you know make a judgment on that. But I think like. Even even just like with other chains, we've considered doing that. Luckily, we got ourselves out of shit creek with Binance Smart Chain because they like just added. Uh, uh, actually, no, it was it was Ethereum just added the ability to get block receipts. Yeah. Before you had to fetch them all individually. It's like this. It's like the stupidest pattern ever. Whoever wrote like the Ethereum like data structure never had in mind like that people would be running. I don't know, literally any app that consumes like blockchain data, like, you know, block, you know, block explorers, indexers, our bots, like everyone needs to read receipts. And so like the fact that you had to, that they weren't included on like the block is just like insane in the first place. But I'm just ranting about technical details now. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay with us kind of investigating more on the Solana site. I think it's going to be much more difficult to, to actually support than we think it's going to be. And I think it's going to be, a, a real risk of a, being a fucking dumpster fire in some in some sense. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. And to be honest, like those, I don't think adding chains is really going to offer a lot more value to the protocol. Like, I think there's a, there's a tendency in the community to think that oh, we could add more chains and it adds more value and you get more trade volume and more this and more that. It did with, and then, I mean, it did with Luna. <laughs> it did with Luna's case, and that was obviously a, a unique one. But like, yeah. if you just look at Coinbase or Binance and their spot trading volumes. It's, it's, you know, it's fucking 80 something percent just Bitcoin and ETH. And there's yeah. a huge trail off of a bunch of random tokens, you know? And so just like, like, you know, the more chains we add, the more complexity we're adding to the protocol in some ways, the more maintenance we have, the more outages we have, the more time is burned of like myself and Pluto to, 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 you know, put out the fires of these other chains and whatnot. It's just, it's just like, let's stay focused on things that will actually drive value to the protocol. And I think that's things like integrations, right? Which what, you know, Nine Realms is doing and doing well. Um, that's like, you know, limit orders in my opinion and, and what does that, you know, and, you know, validating lending, that the lending design works as we suspect or like, like it to work or whatever. And like, there are things we can do that just produce more value into the protocol you know, than, than like Solana or some random chain, to be honest with you. Uh, Chad, I, I had a question on kind of that point. Shoot. Um, <clears throat> I think one of the things that really attracted me to ThorChain early on was the whole non-KYC layer one swap. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm curious if you guys have flirted with the idea of, you know, on-ramp, uh, and off-ramping directly, you know, using the protocol in some way. 
Um, and if that interests you guys, because um, if there was a, yeah, just curious what your thoughts are on that piece. Yeah, my thought is no, because whenever you do an on-ramps and on-ramps, I'm, I'm assuming you're referring to Fiat, there's always going to be a point of centralization somewhere that's actually doing all that. And I, and I in no way, shape, or form do I want myself or probably not even nine realms to, to become some sort of like on or off ramp. It's just, it's, just, it's just dipping a toe into a world that is not what we do, right? Uh, yeah, no, understandable. And then I had kind of a follow-up then on when you guys evaluate chains, like you're saying most of the volume, you know, might be on Ethereum, Bitcoin, 80%. Um, I haven't looked into it too much, but I know there's layer two talk around Bitcoin now, like BRC20 or something like that. I'm just curious, um, when do you guys prioritize like a layer two versus an L1 or L2 versus L1? And what, what do you guys tend to think is the better ROI? Um, I mean, that's a good question in general. Um, my, my personal stance on something like BRC20 is that like BRC20 is a, is a relatively new concept. That's been around for a very long time. It could be a flavor of the week for all we know, and maybe it's got some staying power. Who knows? But even BRC20 is actually not part of the core protocol of Bitcoin. It's only It only exists because some of the miners choose to run a modified version of Bitcoin Core that supports this cool guy, BRC20 fucking NFT shit that you see on ordinals and that kind of stuff we see on bitcoin so because it's not really part of the actual core protocol of bitcoin that makes me a little bit you know resistant to um you know engage in such things especially if it's really new and i think that's gonna be one of the challenges in general this, of this community is to, to not just go ahead and chase everything that's shiny and new in the industry um everything that's you know being talked about on any random youtube influencers whatever like we should be thinking more long term and investing into protocols that have been around for a while, that have shown their value, has shown their, you know, they contribute to the space in one form or another, and they've shown, you know, growth and and run their infrastructure in a non-shitty fucking way, for example. Um, you could even make the argument that we shouldn't add anything unless it's gone through a full bear and a full bull market first before you can even start talking about adding a new chain, you know, or adding a new BRC20 thing or whatever. Even like lightning, even lightning network, I wouldn't do just because the volume on lightning network is so fucking small right now. One day it'll be massive, to be honest with you. I think probably maybe in ten years it'll be quite large. But even lightning network is just like the liquidity is so small; it just wouldn't be worth the time that it would take to 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 support it. You know, for myself or Pluto or one of us to to build that client and integrate and then take up more cap space in our in our security of the network on an asset that doesn't have much volume. Like we have to be more um, strategic in how we think about these things. Cool. Yeah, uh, I was gonna ask also, I, I know there was a question around like making the rune token um, do more and I was super uh, like agreed with kind of your stance, but on the lending side is, is Rune not involved uh, in the lending side of Thor, Thor Chain? Just curious what that, um, maybe you can like, um, explain it again at a high level. Not, not really. I mean, it's involved <laughs> with, with the derived assets and it's involved within the context of that. But it's not, um, you know, the, the loans aren't coming from Rune deposits from various people. 
that create the you know liquidity to be able to, to open loans and such. So Rune's not. I mean, it's it's involved indirectly. I'd say not involved directly. Is there a world where that it could take a bigger role? Uh, you, like you see that the Rune token itself take a a bigger role, or um. I think it, I think it's taking as big of a role that it can take. I mean, you could make an argument that we could we could open up loans so that room could be used as the collateral instead of just Bitcoin and ETH, which is what it is today. But um, the the reason why we don't do that though is because we the whole point of the feature is to drive value into the protocol, drive value into the Rune asset. And if you're using Rune as collateral, then you're not really creating any buy pressure on the Rune asset. You're actually creating uh, net sell pressure, technically, uh, you might cause positive burn pressure, but you're probably going to be creating net sell pressure on the rune asset, which is obviously not the direction we want to be going. So we don't allow rune as as a collateral asset, and I don't I don't expect us to ever um, enable rune as a collateral asset in the network. That's the only way you can get rune to be more involved in the process than it already is, and I don't think that would be very beneficial to the protocol, to be honest with you. Although I would personally love it because I mean I could take a bunch of my rune that I personally hold and open a loan with it, and then you know spend it on you know something or a car, fucking whatever. Um, it would be beneficial for me personally, but putting my my kind of economics hat on and not, and not thinking about my own personal you know what's what's good for me as an individual and you know, what's good for the protocol it doesn't make sense to, to allow ruin as a collateral asset yeah no thank you that was super uh, insightful yeah have you ever thought about ruin as a collateral asset but with uh so, so because Rune is the you know the pair in every single pool, you could essentially liquidate the liquidate positions if they start to get you know, unaligned with like the health of you know the protocol and like minting more Rune essentially. Uh, so, like, I feel like it'd be interesting to explore something like uh, Rune loans, but you could liquidate them at a certain point where so that the, the health isn't a problem that like the, the economic part of this isn't really a factor because you just have to manage a manage a position like you would on other protocols where it's neutral to the to the protocol itself but provides a value to you know people that actually use the chain yeah but then the, the, then the question becomes of like why would the protocol do this what benefit did the protocol get by doing a um a rune loans with, with liquidation like, what is the actual value that it gets? Yeah, so if, if it's like a, so in this in this example, like if it's a 50% LTV, you liquidate when it reaches, you know, 110% uh, of the collateral value or something like that. And the protocol profits, whatever that 10% of rune value is. So, you know, you put in a position in, in whatever asset and then it just liquidates to, uh, you know, to... A, a position where the protocol wouldn't be minting more rune back in that uh, in that scenario because it just liquidates at a uh, at a higher at a higher margin yeah. than that. But the problem with that is that um, rune as an asset is, is relatively small, right? Its its market cap is relatively small to Ethereum and, and Bitcoin and whatnot. So the demand for rune loans, rune collateral loans, is really just local to us as in us in this community nobody cares gives a shit outside of you know this twitter spaces effectively 
And then the question becomes, well, how often are we actually going to liquidate and what kind of amounts are we going to be liquidating? And, and in, in general, it's probably not going to be that much. We don't see liquidations happening on Aave or Compound. Like it's not, I mean, it happens all the time, but it's not humongous amounts, at least not in my opinion. So then it becomes like the amount of value we're, we're contributing. Like we're just collecting that 10% out of the 110% liquidation and putting that 10% into the reserve, I guess, right? And, and increasing revenue for the reserve. Okay. I mean, that's, that's something. But it's not going to be it's not going to be a huge driver of value into the rune asset or the or the network as a whole in my opinion but maybe, maybe i'm wrong about that like i'm not even sure if it's worth the cost of doing it and writing the code and maintaining the code and you know worrying about uh creating twap oracles and this kind of stuff like that's that's not a small amount of work and the question just becomes, is it, is it worth the additional risk to the protocol? Is it, do we get the revenue? Is the ROI worth the cost? Is the ROI worth the risk? Is the ROI worth the maintenance and all the like, time required to do it? And in this case, my, my, just my knee jerk reaction is that's, that's not, um, maybe other people can disagree with me, but for me, it just doesn't make enough sense to do it. Not to mention that, like, like Kraken could do that. Kraken, Kraken can do rune loans, right? If they wanted to, and they're not, and they're not doing it because it's probably just not enough demand to make it worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah, it, uh, for sure. I think there's a protocol or two that does, that does uh, rune loans or yield or, or something like that. Yeah, we can look at those protocols and see what the demand is. And, and my guess, and I obviously don't know. I'm just making a guess out of thin air here, but. So it's, it's going to be one of the least liquid lending things within that lending protocol. And it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense versus using, you know, Bitcoin as collateral or ETH as collateral. We're talking about, you know, 50 billion, a hundred billion dollars of, you know, like how much, how many loans existed in uh, Celsius and BlockFi and Voyager? Like we're talking about what, 30, 40, 50 billion dollars of Bitcoin loans. I mean, we're talking about huge fucking numbers. Orders of magnitude larger than our entire market cap of ruin itself. So if we can capture even 10% of that kind of C5 Bitcoin loans that we saw in the last, you know, bull market, we're talking about, you know, people, 10, 30, $20 billion of room being just bought off the spot market and burned out of existence. And that can have huge effects, theoretically, that can have humongous effects to you know, accruing value into the network and accruing value into room. Uh, Chad, how do you capture 10%? Is it the integrations with these other partners um, who have the front ends or, or like what, what's, how do you market it? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I think it's, it's part of its integrations in convincing, you know, Kraken or other, you know, whomever uh, to, to interface and, and provide interfaces for people to do Bitcoin loans with, with ThorChain. Uh, I think that's part of it. But I also think, to be fair, I mean, objective, that because this lending system is so novel and experimental, I think people will rightfully so be weary of it or, or, or cautious about it, right? Because it is so different and it is so new. And to be fair, you know, you, you need time. For, these, for this system to prove its legitimacy, to prove that it, it stands on its own two feet and that it's not going to you know, collapse to an oblivion or whatever. And, and the only way you can do that is just time. 
and just kind of let people use it. You know, you just have a, put a small cap on it like we have now. Let people open loans, close loans. We can study the behavior of the market in various conditions and scenarios. We can, you know, legitimize or illegitimize the design just by watching how it performs with the market over the next, you know, year or two or whatever, right? Um, and so it's going to take a long time to get there. But once you're there, once you've proven that the system works, which let's assume that's the case for the time being, then you've now pr produced a lending system for Bitcoin, which doesn't exist anywhere else in the world, that is fully decentralized, that is non-KYC'd and completely permissionless. And it's a better lending offer than what BlockFi, Celsius, and Voyager were offering them before by a fucking goddamn landslide. So it, it would be a much better product and a much more decentralized product and a much more honest and transparent product than we've ever seen in history. And because of that, my, my assumption is that the industry would, you know, very much like that and, and engage with it very heavily. But I mean, we need time to, to prove its legitimacy. Yeah, I mean, assume assume it works out uh, flawlessly, which is my hope. I mean, wouldn't just you need a, a startup to basically offer what Celsius was offering, essentially, but just built on top of this design and they just reap the mm -hmm. benefits that you know celsius and all these other guys who imploded sure uh, i could that, totally do that yeah to it yeah wow anybody could anybody could do this like if you wanted to you could build your own loan bitcoin loan system called chad's loan system and i'm going to offer i'm going to use Thorchain in the background but i'm going to i'm going to charge three percent interest rate or five percent interest rate on my loans right i'm just wrapping what Thorchain's doing and giving you your your you know your loan or the hell it is and then gaining 5%, you know, on that thing and just free fucking money for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I ain't doing shit. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just broadcasting Bitcoin transactions and then, you know, getting out the other side and then just like charging a 5% interest on top of what Thorchain's doing. And maybe one day somebody will actually do something like that. Right. And then, you know, and then people will like, people won't, people won't question that. Like they're questioning Thorchain because they, they just assume it's just another TradFi, you know, CFI lending system, and then just like they don't ask questions, they just open loans and get on with it. And you can support fiat in that case, which is like another benefit of being able to do that and wrapping Thorchain, which would be cool. But people would question Thorchain more vigorously because it is decentralized and it is software and there are rules and there are this and that. And, and people should, to be honest with you, like we should always, people should, should be questioning Thorchain's lending design, to be fair. And they should, you know, it should they should question it. They should participate in it. They should learn about it, and they can challenge it, whatever it is, and just you know, see if it works or doesn't. But but people won't question a, a new BlockFi is going to pop up at some point, and no one and no one's going to question it. It's just going to be like, cool, everybody's on board. It kind of reminds me, Chad. Uh, I'm gonna. Well, we're gonna wrap up here after this, but uh, I pinned a tweet up on top. But Lens, uh, one of the interfaces that does door chain lending, uh, we're doing a Twitter space with them on January fourth. Uh, so you can, you know, tap that tweet and RSVP to it if you want to hear about Lens. I think they're doing an IDO or, or something. Uh, I'm honestly not not sure what they're doing, but they're gonna uh, come up here and we're gonna we're gonna talk with their team. Because uh, I don't think they've really talked much to the community at all. So, 
Yeah, that's gonna be great. I, I, I have that marked in my calendar as well. Sweet. Cool. Yeah, it'll be good to have you here for that. So yeah, sounds good. Sorry, we we'll, uh, we'll cut it here. But thanks for coming up, guys. Happy Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Uh, we'll see y'all next year. Later, Kyle. Later, guys. Peace out. All right, see. You.